Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. Hi, I'm Eric Mamacino. I'm a producer on The Agenda, and we are standing outside of Toronto General Hospital. And today we are going to be visiting the most beautiful room in this here hospital. This is where they're doing psilocybin-assisted therapy, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. This therapy is being used to treat a range of mental health disorders from addiction to depression to anxiety to anxiety related to terminal health diagnoses to OCD and even anorexia. I mean, the list goes on and on. We're here with Emma Hapke. Hi, Emma. Hi. She is the Associate Director of the University Health Network Psychedelic Psychotherapy Research Group. Did I get that title right? That's right, yeah. Thanks for coming. This room is uh, beautiful. You immediately feel the contrast from that hallway the second you walk in here. We like to say it's the nicest room in the hospital. Why does it matter so much to make this room so beautiful and calming for people? So when people take a psychedelic medicine, uh, they become very exquisitely sensitive to the environment around them. And the earlier researchers in the 1950s and 60s came up with this idea that set and setting really matter. And so the setting is this room and it's the and it also is the therapist and the therapist's presence that creates this environment that ultimately allows the patient to trust and surrender to the psychedelic experience. So I want to go through the process of the day of Mm -hmm. when someone does this. Let's pretend I'm going to be doing this therapy today. Mm -hmm. I walk into this room. I say, hi, Emma. Mm -hmm. I get into the bed. What happens Mm -hmm. next? So one thing is um, even before coming to the psychedelic session, you Mm -hmm. would have gone through a pretty intensive screening process and a minimum of usually at least three preparatory sessions. And the current model that we work with actually is two therapists for one patient. So when it comes to the day um, of your dosing session, Mm. your two therapists would meet you. Initially, we would start actually on the couch area and we would um, chat with you, go over the agreements for the day and kind of review your intentions and what you're hoping to get out of the session. We like to use some form of ritual to kind of mark the transition from ordinary to non-ordinary state of consciousness. So we'll use a Koshi chime or a bell and then you'll go to the bed. And at that point, you take the medicine. And then the next thing that happens is you'll put on headphones and an eye mask and music starts. We have surround sound speakers and the same music plays through the headphones and you Mm -hmm. begin your inward journey. And depending on the medicine you take, that could be anywhere from, you know, 90 minutes to eight hours. Um, So psilocybin, one of the really common medicines that we work with lasts on average about four to six hours for most people. And as a therapist, you're there the whole time with them. We are, yeah. That's part of why we work in pairs so that when we can take turns, we'll right. go and have lunch and use the washroom because we want to make sure there's always at least one of us present. But but really for the majority, it's the two therapists there with the yeah. participant or the patient the entire time. So yeah. I have a blindfold on me if I were to mm-hmm. do this. Why a blindfold? When people close their eyes on the psychedelic um, experience, it's very different than when they're oriented outward. So that encourages them to go inward. And when we talk about psychedelic healing, we talk about this idea of the inner healing intelligence. It's 
our, just like our body kind of innately knows how to heal, our mind also wants to move towards wholeness. Mm -hmm. And what we encourage people to do is trust that their own inner healing intelligence is going to bring up the feelings, the memories, the experiences that are most in service of their healing. And so having that blindfold on really does encourage them to go inward. But people are also free at any point to take off right. their mask and, and chat with us. So it's not strict. It, we really yeah. follow really what works for them and their own intuition. Mm -hmm. And then there's the music. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves a good DJ. <laughs> how important is it yeah. to choose the right music? And how important is the role of music in this experience mm -hmm. for people? Yeah, so the music we think is really of critical importance right. to creating that overall setting for people. So we put a lot of time and thought into carefully curating playlists for our patients. We intentionally pick music that doesn't have um, lyrics in a language that they understand because that will then take them out of the experience that they're having because they can understand the words. We want music that supports both contains and supports flow. Right. Um, so it, it structures, but also allows that opening um, and kind of easing in. One of the things that happens when you take a psychedelic like psilocybin mm -hmm. is there's something called synesthesia. And that's where your senses start to kind of meld together. So people can actually hear colors or see sounds, which Whoa. is um, you know, it's hard to describe in that unless you've actually experienced it. And so people, the, the music really takes on these different chapters and, and really influences what people are feeling, seeing, hearing, experiencing. So in terms of the healing that you're talking about, we'll have mm -hmm. to go in here a little slow. There's lots to unpack. Mm -hmm. But what sort of experiences are people having during these sometimes mm -hmm. six hour sessions? So the first thing, you know, that happens when you take a psychedelic is there's these perceptual changes. So mm -hmm. people will see fractal patterns, bright colors, kaleidoscopes, but it's also these are visionary medicines. And so pe people get visions of people, places, things, and even archetypal content like angels and demons. We go way beyond the norms of mm -hmm. kind of Western psychiatry in terms of the types of visions that people get. The best way I like to describe it is it's like a waking dream. Um, and so the other thing that happens when you take psilocybin is your ego, your normal sense of self starts to dissolve away and soften. And for some people that can be quite scary. So right. we provide them a lot of preparation for that and also just a lot of support um, on the day of. And as that normal sense of self starts to kind of dissolve away, lots of different things can come up. And, right. and no two psychedelic experiences are the same. Um, but what we commonly see is these big emotional, big pieces of emotion come up and there's a lot of emotional catharsis and processing that happens. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is a lot of biographical detail and past trauma can be brought up and actually re-experience. People actually feel like they're right back there reliving it, but doing so in a contained environment with emotional support to process can help people release what was stuck in some of those past traumatic experiences and, and that's part of the healing. We see this with psilocybin and in some of the studies we're seeing two thirds of people are having what's called a mystical experience. Whoa. And that's where like the normal boundaries of the self really start to dissolve and people describe sort of merging with the universe. There can be this profound positive mood, bliss, unity. People talk a lot about love and the healing power of love. Yeah. And they have a lot of insights that they bring back from those mystical experiences that we then try to help them weave into their lives. So there's this old saying that I love called, if, if you resist, it persists. Mm -hmm. If you resist this pain that you've pushed down, it will persist. Mm -hmm. And so is a good way of looking at this therapy is 
people are able to access buried feelings, even traumas mm-hmm. that they may not even know were there. So uh, we use the term, it helps people overcome experiential avoidance. Okay. A lot of what keeps people stuck is it's human nature to want to avoid pain and go towards um, pleasure. And so we push down and look away from all of the difficult past things that, yeah. have, that have happened to us, but they're still affecting us on many ways. And so this, with the help of the medicine, it's like we're we're almost forced to look at what's there. And we learn that actually when we look at it, we can work through it, a sense of mastery emerges, and people are then supported to process those really difficult things. And ultimately that leads to a lightening and a lessening of their pain. Is this a grieving process? This helps jumpstart People have great losses in their lives and this can you can you can see them beginning a grieving process in that bed sometimes? Yes, very much so. We see I think grief is one of the indications for which psilocybin therapy is um, we're seeing it's particularly helpful for. We work a lot with people at the end of life, often treating people who are dying as young, you know, in their teens and twenties and thirties. Yeah. And there's often so much unprocessed grief and oftentimes they also don't necessarily feel they're they don't want to burden their loved ones by putting that grief onto them. And so they come in here in this safe space with the supportive therapist and the medicine. And it's really this unbridled expression of deep, deep pain. And I, we've seen some patients cry like being almost the entire six to eight hours. But after they report feeling a lot lighter, um, they feel they had a different perspective on their grief. They've let something go. And they, they often talk about being more able to live with the remaining time that they have. So there's traditional psychotherapy that can sometimes take years for people to make progress and to get in touch with some of these feelings. Do you find with psilocybin therapy, it kind of speeds the process up? I certainly think that uh, psychedelic therapy catalyzes the therapeutic process. So I do think we might see gains faster in psychedelic therapy and also seems to facilitate people going deeper, Mm -hmm. quicker. But the other thing that psilocybin does, for example, is it really induces the state of neuroplasticity in the brain. So if we take the the example, some of my depressed patients, for example, like they really, really struggle with something that many of us take for granted, like going for a walk. Mm. Like actually for them, going for a walk when you have severe depression is really, really hard. But what we see is that the psilocybin disrupts behavior and it gives them like a reset. And then they might it might just be a lot easier the day after the psilocybin to then be able to go for that walk. Yeah. But then we work with them really closely in the integration period because their brain is in this changeable state and changeable is neutral. So we have to direct that change into positive outcomes by really supporting them to make new choices, to try new things. Yeah. We call it behavioral activation. So this is probably a good time for my favorite analogy. Yeah. I know you've heard this one a bunch mm-hmm. of times, but it's sort of it, picture like a ski hill, right? where you have all of these well-worn tracks, these grooved in ways of thinking for people that can be often toxic and negative and kind of inescapable. But psilocybin and the experience of it is kind of like putting down a fresh coat of snow. Mm-hmm. And so they can kind of think differently and move to different places. Mm-hmm. Is, that a, is that a helpful analogy yeah. here to, to figure this out? I think so. Like when we see a lot of the, the disorders that psilocybin seems to work for are places where people are really stuck Right. and repetitive thought patterns and maladaptive behaviors. And there's this stuckness. And as much as they're trying, and they're trying really hard, they have a hard time shifting how they're thinking, feeling, and acting. And so what that code of snow is with the psychedelic is that the psychedelic introduces neuroplasticity. And then along with the therapeutic support, it's like we're, you get that fresh code of snow. 
but the therapeutic support is teaching them how to ski in a different direction. And that's why it's really mm. not just the medicine, but the entire treatment that's so important. Now, those, those patterns of thinking that are now, you've got this fresh coat of snow, mm -hmm. do they return for people? They can, yeah. And that's yeah. something that we're still really learning in the field. Um, so with what we're, with some of the depression research, we're seeing that the effects, you know, for some patients, they get better and stay better, but for others, it, it seems to come back after a few weeks or a few months. When these old thought patterns come back, do people sometimes respond to them differently? Do they yes. see these thoughts as different things than they once were? Yeah, I would say that what I've seen is that like, even if the, some of the old thinking comes back, people are less identified with it okay. um, and they, they can see it more for what it is. And now they have these new tools and strategies that have developed in that integration period for dealing with it. So even when it comes back, it's often not as severe and they're better resourced to be able to handle it. To almost push away those thoughts sometimes. Yeah. Or just even be able to notice them without identifying with them so that they're more likely to just be able to pass through their consciousness as opposed to be embedded. So yeah, we're going to get in the weeds here a little bit, Sure, but there's your thoughts and then mm -hmm. there's you. And mm -hmm. a lot of times it's easy to think you are your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So in this case, people have these thoughts and are not identifying with them as strongly. Yeah. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, so what we know in, from some of the research is that psilocybin increases mindfulness. Um, and so that increases the ability to be the witness or the observer of your thoughts as opposed to actually being lost or um, identified with the thoughts. And we know mindfulness-based therapies are really helpful for a variety of uh, mental illnesses. So I found in my, I'm going to bring me into this just for a second. Sure, we'll probably yeah. cut this out. <laughs> uh, I find in my worst moments, I can feel like my mind is a million miles away from my body. Mm. Like I'm just completely caught up in those mm -hmm. tumbling patterns. Does this therapy help people bring themselves back to their body? Yes, very much so. So the one of the things that we really see with psilocybin is it increases a sense of embodiment and it helps people get out of their head and more into the body. And so we have um, certain integrative practices that we encourage people to kind of build that connection with their body and being more inside. We really see with the psilocybin that it opens people, both yeah. to themselves, but also to the world around them. And I'm always fascinated, again and again, people come out of these psilocybin experiences with this increased connection to our planet and with this sort of environmental drive to do more for our planet and wanting to spend time with the trees, with the waters, with the earth. And it's always, it's really beautiful to watch. I feel like we're coming up with a few lessons here. One is feel your feelings. Yes. You know, easier said than done. The only way through is through. The only, the only way, way is out through. is through. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is, is a lot of pain comes from kind of self-reference. And the more you can stop thinking about yourself, the more you can actually be free to be in the world a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that like, you know, it, it's liberating to feel connected. It's, it, you're still connected to yourself, but also feeling connected to everything else. So many of our patients and um, even our society, people feel a lot of loneliness right. and isolation. And that I think intensifies and perpetuates people's suffering. And so to come out of these experiences more open, more willing and able to engage with other people in the world around them is a big part of how this heals people. So you see a lot of people six months, even a year after doing a single dose of psilocybin, perhaps saying they feel less lonely. Yes. And we encourage, uh, so 
at our center, we're developing an ongoing integration group so that there's a built-in community so that people can continue to come in an indefinite way and connect with others that have had these experiences. Um, so building in community into the integration process for people is, yeah. is also part of it. You mentioned mystical experiences. Mm -hmm. In terms of having these very real spiritual or mystical experiences, is this offering people something that can permanently change them? I think we are seeing that, um, you know, when, when we think about spirituality in the context of psychedelics, I think of it really, really broadly and in just connecting to something bigger than yourself. Right. For some people, that's creativity, community, nature, meaning and purpose. And for some people, it's a faith in a, in a particular God. Mm -hmm. And what we see is that the, the medicines seem to open people to that spiritual realm. And this is a level on which the healing is happening. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes those shifts can be permanent. And most people report that that's a really positive thing for them. So, so getting rid of the ego can really help people heal. Quieting, getting rid of yourself. Quieting yeah. these repetitive thoughts that keep us stuck yeah. allows us to these deeper states of connection. I feel like some people could relate to that even if they have never done this. I think some of the, the I mean, we mentioned a ski hill. Mm -hmm. When you're actually skiing, it's really enjoyable mm -hmm. because you're going down a hill and you're not in your head and you're mm -hmm. in the world. I like playing hockey every week because mm -hmm. I'm out playing hockey. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the activities people like to do are naturally these things that get you out of your head Absolutely. and into the world. Yeah, like people talk about the idea of a flow state yes, where the yeah, mind's yeah. quieter, time kind of suspends and you're just really present. And I think that's the other offering that psychedelics bring us is that they help us become more in the present moment, which is actually where life happens. A lot of um, mental illness people are stuck in the past or projecting into an anxious yeah. future. Yeah. And it's here in the present is where the richness of life actually lives. Psychedelic assisted therapy is being applied to a wide range of mental disorders. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna name a few, you can add a few mm -hmm. more to the list if you want. Depression, anxiety, anxiety related to terminal health diagnoses, uh, anorexia most recently, OCD, Mm -hmm. uh, do we want to add a few more to that? Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's good for it's really good for disorders, with, especially psilocybin. We're seeing where the mind is stuck in those repetitive yeah. thought patterns. So that would be like obsessive compulsive disorder, the perfectionism and eating disorders, like anorexia, the rumination and depression. Um, then it's also really good for. Uh, disorders where we need to disrupt the behavioral patterns with so substance use disorders. It's showing really promising results. They had a pilot study. It's still very early research, but in a pilot study for tobacco addiction, they found at six months, 80% of people had quit smoking and were no longer smoking, which is way higher percentage than other um, treatments for smoking sensation. And we're getting good results for alcohol use disorder as well. And there's some really interesting work going on with opiates and the, um, the opiate crisis. Yeah. So that would be that. And then you mentioned end of life distress. It really seems to help people um, grapple with dying and the dying process. I had one mother who was dying and, and before um, she took the psilocybin. She couldn't even tell her kids that she was dying, like it was too painful. And in the experience, she experienced her own death. She felt that she was dying into love and she totally lost her fear of death after that. She started being able to talk to her kids, say goodbye to people. And the, the, it really profoundly changed the last six months of her life where she said, I'm no longer living treatment to treatment. I'm actually living to live. And it was just a very meaningful experience for her. And we're seeing this, we're seeing these stories happen often in, in terms the of The end of yeah. life, uh, um, that's one, one area of research that we're really focused on here. We have a partnership with Princess Margaret Hospital and 
um, you know, in, in science we call the effect size, which is how effective an intervention is. And right. it's so high in the end of life population. So that's one area where this seems to be really, really promising. So you have all these different categories of mental illness. Mm -hmm. The DSM, which is psychiatry's Bible, separates them. Are we learning mm -hmm. through these therapies that there is kind of this common underlying mechanism to a lot of mental illness? I think that there's a lot of interesting work kind of grappling with that question. Um, you know, we, again, a lot of the disorders come down to these maladaptive thinking and maladaptive behavior. And then by bringing in the psychedelic with therapy, so neuroplasticity plus support seems to disrupt that the, the stuck thinking and behaviors that are really at the heart of a lot of different mental illnesses. And I think that, that that sense of connection and getting people more connected, it doesn't matter what mental illness you have, feeling more connected is healing for mm -hmm. people. So how deep are we into studying these types of therapies? So we, we're in, we're officially in this psychedelic renaissance, as okay. they like to call it. You know, there was a lot of work, even work done in Canada in the mm. 1950s and 60s, and they were getting really promising results. Um, but then because of the war on drugs, that all got shut down for over 30 years. Yeah, and I then think it, in Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. you, you could qualify for government-funded LSD therapy for alcoholism. Yeah, in, in, during yeah that time there was period, some yeah. really interesting work going on in Weyburn, Saskatchewan with um, Humphrey Osman, who's a British psychiatrist who was studying uh, psychedelics mm -hmm. here in Canada. And I would say over the last 10 years, we've just seen an explosion. There's research centers popping up all over the world. Lots of really interesting work going on. You know, it's still early days. There's right. way more that we don't know than that what we know. It's important to remain really humble. I think mm -hmm. it's um, it's not a magic bullet. I tell people you're stepping onto a healing path, mm -hmm. um, but it it's a type of therapy where it shows you what's inside and you have to then do the hard work right. of processing that and making the changes. And so there's a lot that we need to learn still about challenging experiences and adverse events and that kind of thing that's, yeah. that's coming out. But it's a very exciting time to be studying this area. So we're in this psychedelic renaissance. Mm -hmm. How hopeful are you for the future of this? I like to say I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, generally speaking, I'm really hopeful. You know, I got into this field originally um, because we needed better treatments for our patients. I saw that I was taught this host of therapies and meds, and yet there was this, you know, a chunk of patients that our treatments just didn't work for. And so we need we need better treatments. And this to me is the a really promising area of mental health research. So I feel very hopeful for the future. Well, thank you for having us here. Thank you so much for coming. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.